You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to the Friday Detroit podcast the pod cast as we so cleverly call it my name's jeremy reisman i'm the managing editor i'm the the interim coach of this podcast uh with me we have a couple special guests guys that aren't normally on the podcast and a first timer if you're watching on our twitch stream you already know who that is if you're not stay tuned uh first <laughs> coming from our pride detroit staff not not a first timer a, a several timer and uh, one of our favorite guests to have, Kent Lee Platty, is with us at Math Bomb. Kent, how are we doing tonight? Fantastic. Glad to be on, as always. And our, our very special guest, our first timer, I have a whole big intro because his resume is very, very big. He's the managing editor of Browns Wire. He's the managing editor of Lions Wire. He writes for Real GM. And if you're on the west side of the state, you also hear him quite often on, is it? Is it 90? Oh, I forgot. 97 one. That's not it. 96 one. 96 no, one. Nine, 97 one doesn't like me so much. 96 <laughs> one is where it's at. Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> some of us kind of feel the same way about them. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Risden is with us. Jeff, how are we doing tonight? Thank you so much for having me. You know, I, I honest to God, I did not get that there was the POD podcast until like a month ago. It just dawned on me that that was so cleverly named. So props to you for doing that. And props to me for not getting it. (laughs) I I appreciate the compliment, but it's horrible when people try to search it. So um, people just say podcast. You can't really find it. It's kind of a a case of being too clever for your own good. But we we, we stick with it because we we like to feel good about ourselves. (laughs) Um, Anyways, on the show today, uh, we got Jeff here for the first segment. He's going to talk all about the Senior Bowl experience. He just got back from it. Has a whole, you know, he, he's been to the Senior Bowl several times before, so he, he's he got a nice uh, kind of different look at it than I think some other people, especially since he also comes from a Lions background. Then Kent and I are going to try to be optimistic about this team. Our second segment, we're going to go through the things, the reasons why you should be optimistic about the Lions in 2020, because it's been quite negative since the season ended, and understandably so, especially when you see guys, former Lions in the Super Bowl, former Lions GMs in the Super Bowl, all, all sorts of that stuff. We're going to try to be optimistic. But first, um, really, really quick, uh, the reason this this podcast is coming out a day late, obviously the passing of Kobe Bryant. Um, just want to address that at the top really quick. Um, it, it, he's the kind of sports personality that I think uh, transforms, you know, the whole sports landscape. So um, we wanted to give that story 24 hours to breathe, let people kind of grieve, let people consume it instead of just jumping right into Senior Bowl stuff you know, two hours after it happened. So, um, Jeff, I, I know, uh, as a, a father of people uh, of, of kids who, who 
play basketball, play volleyball, that sort of stuff. Um, you, you can certainly relate to a story like this and, and, and um, just how impactful and, and tragic it all was. Yeah, you know, th- this was the first weekend where I hadn't been at an AAU tournament with one of my kids. I have a 14-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter. They're both very avid basketball players. Um, and the AAU basketball travel hoops thing, which is what they were going to, it's such a community. It's a family. It's an ever-changing family because you're on different teams from year to year. But you see the same kids over and over again. You see the same parents over and over again. Whether, you know, I'm, I'm here in, in the Grand Rapids area, but, you know, we, we go to, we're going to Clarkson in a couple weeks. We're going to Novi. We're going to Fort Wayne. We're going to Indianapolis. We go to Chicago. We see the same people all over the place. And to think that some of those people wouldn't be there is, is shocking to me. You know, it, what if it was a, you know, my daughter's teammate? My, it's, it was really rough from that standpoint. You know, um, I, I saw it more from the, the losing Gigi angle, honestly, sure. than I did from, yeah. from losing Kobe. Um, Kobe was obviously a huge, just, I'm a little older, so I, I, I was more of the, the MJ era, but I definitely appreciated what, what Kobe did for a long time. Um, my line with him was I never liked him, but I always loved him. Um, yeah, I, I didn't, didn't like him. I didn't like the Lakers, but man, he, he was so talented and so, so strong willed and he constantly worked at his game, constantly got better. And I, that's something that you have to envy. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of how I took it too. Um, just because, you know, I'm not the hugest basketball fan and I, I never really took a side on the LeBron or or MJ or, or Kobe debates or any sort of the things like that. The things that, that had always made me admire him is, is one, that work ethic that everyone talks about, that crazy work ethic, getting up at 3 a.m., doing three workouts before 10 a.m., that sort of stuff. And and then his, his work as a parent, which is obvious anytime you see him on screen with with one of his daughters and so yeah it was definitely a a tragic moment for for all sports and and one that soon won't be forgotten and and you know you could see you know during the pro bowl the the players who were just learning of this are are throwing up celebrations in in honor of him and and that just goes to speak how wide spanning his impact was in all sports um and with that, uh, we're, we're going to move on. Um, we're we're going to talk some Senior Bowl because we do have Jeff here. We, we want to get to that. We don't want to spend the whole thing talking about Kobe because there are probably people that, that can speak higher on this, that know a lot more about him as a person than, than we do. We're just kind of admirers and all that sort of stuff. So let's get to the Senior Bowl, Jeff. Um, right. As I was mentioning, you, you've been there plenty of times. Um, you've you've yeah. seen a lot of players. Who, who stuck out to you um, on the positive end? at the senior bowl this week and, and yeah, not this just the game the entire week. Yeah. Um, this was my 12th senior bowl week. I've been every year since 2008, except 2018. Uh, I missed that one, um, for logistical reasons. Uh, this was a very good overall class. It's one of the best top to bottom senior bowl there has been. Uh, I don't think there were any top 10 picks there, although Javon Kinlaw may prove me wrong on that, but most, I would say more than half of, day two of the draft was in Mobile this year. The second and third round, uh, fourth round. Uh, then I think there's going to be a little bit of a gap. Then I think you're going to see a lot of guys from the sixth and the seventh round there as well. Um, some of the, the lower guys. I got to start with Kinlaw. Mm-hmm. He was phenomenal. He only practiced one day, one full practice and one half practice. He did enough. He's he's a monster. Um, he is He's as close to Gerald McCoy as I can recall a player being. Mm-hmm. And and we, we, we know McCoy, you know, and there's going to be the argument that went with Sue and McCoy back in 2010 when they went two and three between him and Derek Brown. And they are different. 
they are different enough that you can you some teams are going to prefer yep. Kinlaw, some teams are going to prefer Brown. Kinlaw is so disruptive with his size. Uh he's so polished with his hands. He's an attack dog. And Brown is isn't that as much and uh from a Lions purpose I I tend to think that they're going to want to go with Brown a little bit more but yeah. but Kinlaw's was his introductory press conference that he gave, and, and I stood there holding the camera and watching it, was phenomenal. It's it's one of the, the most heart heartfelt player things. This is a guy who gets it. This is a guy you want to root for, absolutely. And uh, so he he captivated the crowd there. Um, he did enough. He didn't he didn't need to practice playing the game anymore. He he solidified himself as a as a as a surefire stud. So I was very impressed with him. Uh, other guys who stood out. I'm yeah, glad okay. you brought brought up him and Brown because I was going to ask you that my my opinion of those two has been that that Kinlaw is the guy that they need, but Brown's the guy they're going to want. And That's you kind of well echoed, <laughs> yeah, you kind of echoed that. But it it just seems like everything that Derek Brown does is is the type of things that that Matt Patricia and his staff have, have wanted in an interior lineman, but they really need a player like Javon Kinlaw who can in, in penetrate up the middle and provide that disruption on the inside of a pocket. That's the guy, the type of player that they need. But I feel like they're just going to want Brown more. Yeah, I kind of I kind of get that impression as well. And I also Kinlaw has he has a little bit of an injury history that that will concern them. Um, he he explained it away pretty well as as a byproduct of weight loss. He got up to three hundred forty seven pounds and dropped to three hundred five um, very very quickly. And some of that um, took a toll on his his soft tissue. But um, that that we'll, we'll get we'll get into the medicals once we get to Indianapolis. At, uh, yeah. God, like four weeks from now. Oh, it never stops. <laughs> never stops. <laughs> not once. Draft no, season. once. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I, I always get to a Pacers game when I go to the combine. So that's that's fun. And if you're there, we'll go. It'll be fun. Okay. Okay. I we'll might take that. you up on that. I haven't we'll decided yet if I'm going yet, but uh, no. it's, it's an a, easy it drive. It's, it's it much easier drive. than getting to Mobile, Alabama. Yes. Trust me. <laughs> Um, um how, how about else? Anyone else kind of make an impression on the positive yes, side? Maybe, I'll, maybe say, on the I'll tell you and Michigan fans aren't going to want to hear it, but Josh Uche was the best pass rusher there. Okay, and yeah, it was it was stunning how polished he was and how how adaptable he was. Everything they asked him to do, they they asked him to loop outside um, around a stunt, no problem. They asked him to win inside, no problem. They asked him to to you know blow up a screen to play out in space to cover tight ends, yeah, no problem. Why did he do that in Michigan? <laughs> right. <laughs> what, what, what was what was missing at Michigan that wasn't in Alabama? Because he looked like a guy who can start right away in in the Devon Kennard role. Um, he's not and as what, big. You're gonna Go you're gonna have the same question though that we had with with Winovich last year is where do you where do you slot him draft wise? Because like you mentioned, he wasn't that disruptive when he played for Michigan. But we saw him we saw him in first round mocks today from the draft network. I think it was. Uh, yeah. The one that he came out with had him in the first round. I, I don't know that he's a first round prospect on tape, but you have a senior yeah. bowl that good. You hit, you tick that many boxes. You know, he's a good combine away from, from jumping that far up. He is. And and I would tend to rank him around where Kyle Van Noy went in the middle of the second round. That That's probably where, I, and honestly, I think that's probably about where he winds up just because he didn't play a lot of Michigan. He didn't show that consistently there. Some of that was his usage. Some of that is finding the right usage for him in the NFL too. He could be a Van Noy type player, um, kind of kind of a jack, but but also a guy who who can 
he'd have to gain a little bit of weight to, to play with a hand in the dirt, but there will be defenses that will ask him to do that at times. Um, he reminds me yeah, actually like um, 240, 241 or something. Yeah, like that, 241. Right? He does have 33 and a half inch arms. He has big hands. He's strong. He's clearly strong enough to, to handle that. Um, he, he's, he was, he was so good guys. It was, it was tough to, to be, a, a I'm not a Michigan fan, but I get lumped with them because I'm from Michigan. So I was like, why, why didn't he play so much in Michigan? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. We won't go down that road, but he, he was very impressive. I, I, I got to give it to him. And I'll, I'll say this, Ben Bradison on the other side of the ball also acquitted himself very nicely for a Michigan guy. Uh, yeah. I thought that he showed he w- he's probably not the top offense interior offensive lineman there. Um, I, th- I think Lloyd Cushenberry is, but uh, he's he's going to go in day two, and, and he's going to start right away for a team. And I, I will – it sounds like um, – I'm not breaking news here with this – I don't think Graham Glasgow is going to be back in Detroit. I don't think Graham Glasgow thinks he's going to be back in Detroit. Right. Um, and he, Bradison would be a, a decent replacement for that. A much, much cheaper um, replica. Honestly, I, I, I think that I think they're going to look at, at the interior line in Detroit in the middle to later, you know, late day two, early day three, probably they're going to get a guy who can start right away and do it. What they hope is reasonably close to what Glasgow did for much less price, and and he's right. a guy that's going to be in that conversation. I got a I got a question about two guys real quick. So just real quick on these two, sure. uh, Bradley and I from Utah, oh. and uh, Jason Strobridge from North Carolina. And I ask about those two because watching Anai play is the perfect Matt Patricia defensive lineman in every sense of the word. What he uses the edge the edge players to do. The, the way that he utilizes and the traits that he looked for, everything that I saw from Anai screams that Matt Patricia is going to love this dude. And regardless of where people have him, I feel like he's going to get overdrafted, not because of value, but just because of the, the scheme fit. I feel like Matt Patricia's defense is perfect for him. And the other guy I wanted to ask about, just for a small humble brag, was Jason Strobridge. Because I had mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago before the, the Senior Bowl that I thought that Jason Strobridge would really fit in this defense if he had lost about 20 to 30 pounds. At the time, he was playing at 285 at North Carolina. Uh, he shows up with the Senior Bowl, 267. And I know that Matt Patricia took a shine to him in practices. I didn't get to see how he played in the game. But I wanted to ask your thoughts about those two, particularly for their fit. You've nodded already that for an eye. It's, it's so perfect <laughs> yeah. on tape, it's hard to miss. Uh, yeah. But for him and Strobridge, really just your thoughts on them. Yeah, I'll start with Strobridge because uh, this came from the very first practice about uh, 10 reps in. Um, I turned to the person that was standing next to me and I said, Jason Strobridge, that, that's Kevin Strong. They're the same guy. <laughs> I can totally see him in the Kevin Strong role in Detroit. He's a little bit lighter now. Like you said, he's down to 267. From what it sounds like, he wants to play at about 275 and, and kind of be that, you know, can be a four eye, can be a five, can, can go out to seven if you need him to. He, he's def, he's a middle round pick. I'm going to guess he's probably going to a fifth or a sixth round guy because he doesn't have outstanding tape at North Carolina. He is going to be changing schemes. He is going to be learning a lot of things. He, he's not refined yet, but there's you, like you said, you can see easily how he fits into the Detroit defense. And then Anai, if I, I'm writing a Lions mock draft right now, he is a second round pick, and I'm disinclined to ever change that until I'm somebody not. tells me otherwise. <laughs> I'm not at all. He's going to be my second round pick from now until people Boom. say he's a first round pick. It, That's it's right. so perfect on tape. Um, I, I, I hate to really key in on guys, but sometimes it, they just fit. And that's, that's every, every time you watch the guy, you're like, hey, that's, that's one of his dudes. 
He wins with length on the edge so well. He plays the run on the way to the pass. He's really, yeah. really football smart. And you know that's something that appeals to to Patricia and Quinn. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's very easy to see him fitting in Detroit. And he was a monster throughout the week. He would have had two sacks in the game. Disclaimer, I did not see the game. Um, I was otherwise occupied. But uh, – uh, I, I know he got one sack, and I know he pulled off of another sack because he thought it was practice yeah, still. he threw in touch the guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, since, you know, Uche and I both made an impression throughout the week and very much in the game itself, too. I think they, they combined for three or four sacks themselves. Um, how much of that is a product of, of pure talent, and how much of that was just like kind of a weak showing from the offensive lines on, on both, really on both sides? Because I, I didn't really hear a lot standouts from either side on the offensive line so offensive line on the south the best lineman who was there uh was the d3 kid from st john's uh <laughs> with the red hair and i can't think of his name barch ben, ben barch barch yeah ben he, barch. He, he, he looked like he can start at left tackle in the nfl at some point uh similar to what titus howard from from alabama state did a year ago he started for the texans towards the end of the year and, and did okay um, I, I see him. There's a lot of upside with him. There's a lot to like. He cannot play on the right side. He took two reps in, in Wednesday's practice on the right side and did physically not touch the guy because he didn't know how to use his opposite hands. So he's a left <laughs> side only player. Um, that happens a lot with, with guys yeah. that are coming from the small schools. He was good. Um, Josh Jones out of Houston, the, the, their offensive tackle was really good. You're going to see him on a lot of first round mocks. That's a little rich for my blood based on his tape, but he has the traits. He has the length. He has the strength. And uh, based on what he, he measures really he, well. Oh, yeah. He's six seven. He had, I think it was an 86-inch wingspan. Um, so there, there was a lot to like about him. Uh, but, yeah, some of the other guys, uh, the Taylor kid from South Carolina State, who was six foot nine, um, super long arms, had, I think it was an 88-and-a-quarter-inch wingspan, which is just freaky. Um, but he was too long. There's a point of diminishing returns with off- length on offensive linemen, and he passed it. Uh, similar to Cornelius <laughs> Lucas. Um, yeah. The same type of thing. He's just bending over so far to get down to a guy who's 6'2", like Uche, that it, he he has no chance. And that, that happened a lot with him. It happened a lot with other guys. Uh, Michael Steele out of Texas Tech is another guy. He's too tall for his own good. I, I wish he was 6'5", instead of 6'7". Um, so there was a lot of that. The, those drills, specifically the one-on-one drills, are definitely designed for the defense to win. If you're an offensive player and you're winning those, you really stand out. That's why Jones stood out. That's why Bar stood out. Uh, but yeah, some of the other guys, like uh, if you went up against the kid from West Virginia, uh, I think his name was McKivitz, it, it, it was a free win. He, the guy was terrible, yeah. uh, un, undraftable. Uh, he just couldn't move his feet and and arms in concert at the same time, couldn't stay engaged. So it's definitely skewed for speed rushers, um, which, which they both are. Uh, but, but what I like was that they showed more than that. You know, in team drills, they were winning when there was a tight end present. Um, not that the tight ends were in line and not that they could block either. Um, other than other than than Adam Troutman from Dayton, there's not a single one of those who should ever line up in line. Um, that kid, by the way, I know it's taboo to set, draft a tight end. If he's there in the fifth round, the Lions need to take him. The Adam Troutman from Dayton, that kid can play. You don't think um, he's going to get overdrafted just because he's he's it's not a very class? Uh, maybe there's always a fear of that. Absolutely. Um, and and the kid from LSU is a great receiver. He makes Eric Ebron look like an Iron Man, though, in in terms of grit and and testicular fortitude to block. So uh, I'll pass on that. But he's he's going to get a lot of fans because he can really fly in the slot and he can catch the ball nicely. But he he's a he's a wide receiver masquerading as a tight end. 
Speaking of LSU, you mentioned Cushenberry earlier, who's yeah. the LSU offensive lineman. We we know that he's pretty good. Where do you think that he goes on draft day? Because I've I've had a hard time pinning down where I think he's going to go. You know, I'm with you on that. I, I'm going to pencil him in right now in the third round, uh, and I think there's one round or another flux on that. A combine is going to be big for him. He's he's going to be – he is a – how do I say this without it sounding bad because I don't intend it to be bad. He is not going to be every coach's cup of tea with his personality. There, there are going to be coaches who really take a shine to him, and there are going to be coaches like, I don't want that guy. And that's that's always tough to weigh. Um, and, and again, I don't mean that in a negative light because there's a lot of there's a lot of great players who are like that. Um, a lot of big personalities. Of in, we have a couple of them in Detroit. Um, we have one who's no longer in Detroit. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's um, it's it's always tough to gauge that. I like the guy. He's a he's a very good blocker. I I will rank him. I'm not done grading yet, but I would guess he's going to be a second or third round grade from me. And that's that's probably the easiest way to go. And I know you do that too, Kent. You you go with what you see, um, and how that drives with where they go is is often you know doesn't matter. Yeah, I go I go a little bit the other way with what I've seen of him. I'm I'm still very early in my grading, but I was kind of mid third, late to the end of the fourth round type of range. But I, like you said, we're none of us are done grading yet unless we're lying. No. And yeah, there's plenty of stuff left to watch. Can you tattoo that on your profile? <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. so we mentioned Bradley and I as, as a guy that might be a really good fit in Detroit. Did you get a sense of anyone else that you thought maybe the Lions would that fell in love with this weekend? Because obviously, it's a big week for the Lions themselves in, in terms of their personal evaluation and getting to know these guys. In terms of personality or fit, or even if you got a little bit of inside sources, is there is there any other guys you saw there that was like they're going to fall in love? They're going to be a match made in heaven. We we were told Monday um, when we were setting up, and, and I was with uh, a competing podcast. Great guys, Detroit Lions podcast. Please give them a we listen. Them yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're great. We were we were on Radio Row this week, and we got tipped off from somebody in the Lions building um, who told us to really pay attention to the wide receivers on the North Squad, which they Ooh. coached. There were two of them who really fit what they need. That the, remember, they do not have a slot receiver right now. Danny yep. Amendola is not a Detroit Lion anymore. He is a free agent. Would they like to have him back? Yes, I do think they'd like to have him back. Would he like to come back? I don't know. I, I tend to think he's going to go into ring whore status and go where he has a better chance of winning. Um, and suffice to say, Detroit is not at the top of the list of Super Bowl contenders at this moment. They're 312 and one last year. Um, um, I do think, honestly, um, we'll, we'll get, I'll get to that in a minute. So KJ Hill from Ohio State. Mm-hmm. is a great fit. He's a guy that's similar to Terry McLaurin a year ago. He came to the the, the Senior Bowl as a guy who had a rep of, of being, okay, maybe a, maybe a fourth or fifth round guy. You know, he didn't catch a great deal of balls, but Ohio State sprays the ball to everybody. They're, they have smart quarterbacks there that find the open man. It's not necessarily predetermined reads like at a lot of other schools where wide receivers will get very inflated catch rate statistics and and, and volume statistics because – Everybody else sucks. You know, the, he doesn't have that problem at Ohio State. So he ran very good routes. He's explosive. He's really good after the catch. He showed a willingness to block, um, w- which was very nice. So I think he's somebody. Uh, James Prochet from SMU, though, is the guy that I think they're going to really like. Ken's uh, <laughs> going crazy. I love it, buddy. <laughs> His Raz is going to suck, but I love that. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> he, is, he, is, he is quicker than fast um, and not necessarily fast. And I'm not sure he's even going to post elite quickness, but the guy 
his route running, his footwork, the way he sets things up with his heads, with his shoulders, is yep. beautiful to watch. He he gets open. He catches the ball. He is used to running. Most of his production came on very quick, short throws thrown by a quarterback who does not understand that every pass can't be thrown at full volume at SMU. He caught <laughs> lasers on five-yard slants all the time. Nope. Guess who throws those really well? <laughs> Matt Stafford. And his his ability to make catches that don't make any damn sense just blew me away. Because, I mean, like you said, he catches a lot of slants. He catches a lot of the typical easy slot receiver stuff. And he catches them like you should if you're wide open. And he does. He has no problem catching those. But his highlight catches for a, for a little guy make yeah. no sense. I mean, one of the first first highlight reels that I watched to him, he caught a pass over the over the back of one of his defenders. That's the type of stuff you see from guys that are like six five with big long viney arms and stuff. And it wasn't like it was a one time thing. He caught like fifteen of those while he was at college. Yeah. It was ridiculous. He he makes a ton of catches that don't make any sense. He doesn't get as much separation as I'd like to see for a guy his size. I already said I don't I don't think he's going to measure very well at all. Um, I was comparing him athletically to Greg Dortch, came out of Wed- w- Wake Forest last year, didn't measure very well, did have did have good agility drills, but his speed was below average, and a lot of his other metrics were pretty poor. Um, I don't think Prochet is going to measure well at all. I don't care, and I'm the guy who always cares about that. I love watching him <laughs> on tape. That's your brand, Ken. <laughs> that is my brand. I'm I'm going against my own brand to, to stand <laughs> James Prochet. I love him. Um, watching Danny Amendola this year, and I was a huge critic of Danny Amendola coming into Detroit. I didn't think he was going to have the impact that he had. Um, but if if you want to replace that with a young player who can make those type of plays and then some, you want James Prochet on your team. Uh, and I was hoping that you were going to mention when you said you had a couple of guys. I was like, James Prochet, <laughs> mention him so I can stand this guy. Uh, I'm excited for him. Not not so right. much excited for his combine. Yeah, I'll give you, give, you, give yeah, you, I'm with you on that. I'll give you, I'll give you one other um, North wide receiver. That's Denzel Mims out of Baylor. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, we we talked to to Robert Prince, the wide receivers coach, um, both on the record and off the record. Um, Mims came up more than any other receiver when we talked to Matt Patricia. He mentioned Mims specifically among about five other names that he mentioned of players that he really cared for on his team. Doesn't mean that they're going to draft him, but he's a guy. He fits the Bob Quinn stereotype of wide receiver in that he doesn't necessarily get a lot of separation, but he's very physical. He can make contested catches. He runs tough routes. He he blocks. He competes. He's smart. He can run a variety of, of things on the outside. He can go across the middle. He's not a, not shy about it. Uh, he's somebody to watch. He's probably a day late. Day, I would say third round pick, um, maybe maybe early fourth, um, just because he's again he's six foot three. He's two hundred and twenty. I want to say he played heavier than that, but he's he's losing weight. He's going to run four five four five five. It's not going to be great. Again, another guy that that's not going to ras all that great, but <laughs> okay. a guy who's a really good football player. All right, we're running up against it. Before I let you go, Jeff, I have to bring up the, the topic that came up in, in the middle of the week. Probably a nothing burger, but I just wanted to get your view yeah. of it. The, <laughs> the style of the Lions practice was was criticized by a bunch of media members as boring. They're stretching too much, that sort of thing. As someone who's seen plenty of Lions practices and seen plenty of senior role practices, what was your whole take on that? Okay, Tuesday's practice, they ran a Detroit Lions practice in Mobile, Alabama with players they'd never seen before. For anybody who hadn't been to Allen Park, it was 
it was stunning because when you go there, you want to see, all right, cornerback versus wide receiver, one-on-one, go. Running back tight end, one-on-one, go. Give me the pit. They didn't do that until about, I don't want to say two-thirds of the way through the practice, and it, it dragged. It stunk. And one of the other issues that a lot of people had was they did the pit at one end zone, then they did special teams in the middle of it. Then they did the same pit in the other end zone. So if you wanted to watch that, you had to walk from one side to the other. <laughs> I, 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 it sounds yeah, stupid and too. trite, but people really had a hard time with that. Yeah. And uh, um, I, I thought I it was know, funny because I, I, a lot of the complaints that people had, I was like, that sounds a lot like 2018 Detroit Lions practice. Uh, mm-hmm. All I could wonder was, did they have the air <laughs> horn? The air horn they had in 2018, it would, they'd be in the middle of a drill. Somebody would blow an air horn and they'd go stretch. It was like, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. They, they were very cognizant of that. And, and uh, to their credit, nobody on the North got hurt all week. That's a rarity in senior bowl practices. So maybe whatever they did, even though they don't have a strength and conditioning coach officially at this point, <laughs> um, it, it seemed to work for them. The second day was much better. And the second day, the Bengals staff that did the South did did what the Lions did the day before and did positional drills where they weren't going head to head. They didn't didn't have more than probably 12 reps of team snaps all the time where it's 11 on 11. So they wound up getting the bulk of it. And their punter, by the way, was shanking balls left and right. So it made their punt their, their thing. They actually went to the – instead of using the punter, they used the, 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 the jug shooter thing, <laughs> which was just – so by the end of the week, I think those, those things had calmed down. And I think people realized – it, it, it was what the Lions do. Um, the Lions, I the impression I got from talking to people who were employed by the Detroit Lions is that they wanted to see how the players handled the Detroit Lions practice. That's right. one of the advantages of being the coaching staff there. Yeah. I am certainly not going to fault them for taking advantage of that. Right. I, I think they I think it the criticism got exaggerated. I actually had words with with somebody from the draft network, and those guys are my friends. Um I, I like those guys a lot, but I had words with them like, hey, look at some of the it's it. I've been to better senior bowl practices. That's for sure. I've been to much worse. Uh, the, the ones that uh, Hugh Jackson and the Browns ran were a joke. Oh God, yeah. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> there, there was the, the Tony Sperano and the jets had them one year and it was, it was dreadful. It was awful. Some of it was the fact that their quarterbacks were awful, but my God, there have been much worse coaches than, than there, but you know, Compared through the prism, people loved, loved Gus Bradley's Jaguars practices. How'd that work out for Gus Bradley and the Jaguars? <laughs> exactly. And they were there two years in a row. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Uh, we got 10 extra minutes out of you, so I appreciate you sticking around. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, I, I, I'm glad you rescheduled. I appreciated that you did. Um, as you know, this was a very difficult week for me. I, I was going through a lot of interesting stuff in the in the personal <laughs> life, so I, I, I appreciated the break myself. And it was right to do it for Kobe. And thanks for having me on for the first time. Of course. I, I, You're welcome I, back I will, anytime. I will, I will come back anytime you, you, you let me know. Yeah. Um, and, and why don't you take a moment to, to, to pimp your stuff? What, what, where can people, if they, they enjoy what they heard, where can they reach you? Sure. You can find me at the Lions Wire. I'm the managing editor. I work with Eric Schlitt very closely there. Um, he also is, I think I'm technically his boss, but I, we don't. We don't treat it that way <laughs> at all, <laughs> um, which which is good for both of us. Uh, so we got a ton of stuff there. Um, if you care about the Cleveland Browns and want to see a more poorly run organization than the Detroit Lions, I would suggest you follow the Cleveland Browns <laughs> and their antics at Browns Wire, um, where they have hired their coach before they hired their GM, and their owner listens to homeless guys telling who bumming him for a cigarette and hey, pick Johnny Manziel in the first round. Okay, I will. <laughs> 
he, he's a complete <laughs> dipshit, and he is why I love Martha Ford because it could be a hell of a lot worse. Trust me on this book. Um, you can also find I do more broad NFL and NFL draft specifically at Real GM. Um, I'm a little behind on what I post there, but I will have a bunch of stuff coming up there. Um, I do big boards for every position. I do mock drafts, um, notes, news, nuggets that I get throughout that. Um, and a lot of my combine stuff will be on that as well. And I, I will be at the combine. I hope to see one of you there. If not, I will see you guys uh, sometime at Allen Park in the near future. Absolutely. Jeff, thanks, you're amazing. Jeff. Thank you. Thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, when we come back, we are going to be optimistic about the Lions. We're going to try our hardest to drink the Kool-Aid. We'll see if we can get it done. So stick around. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome back to the Pride of Detroit POD cast. We are back. That was some great draft talk with Jeff Frisden. Again, go follow him at Jeff Frisden on Twitter if you aren't already. Chances are if you're listening to this, you know who he is and you probably do. But now it's time to turn to the Detroit Lions, to where the state of this franchise is at right now. A few weeks ago, we did our little state of the franchise podcast, and it turned out to be super depressing. And honestly, just in the month, January has been kind of miserable because I feel like every single article I put up on Pride of Detroit is just like, who cares? Matt Patricia's our coach. We're done. Fire so everyone. I'm, yeah, fire. Like, we're past that, guys. Like, I'm, we're, we're hiring people right now. That's what we're yeah. doing. No one's getting fired anymore. We're, we're moving on. We're moving towards 2020. Let's try to start the year off at least a little bit optimistic. So even though, and, and the segment isn't, hey, we're optimistic about the lines. We think they're going to be great. It's here are reasons why they might be great or why they could be good. Um, we don't necessarily believe that they're going, and, and that, that's the rockets going off of, of optimism. <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, the purpose of this is just let's look at the bright side. There are some positive things about this team. I don't think it's necessarily a four. Like anyone who's talking about a team in January for the upcoming season and saying they for sure won't make the playoffs, they for sure won't win their division, they right. for sure won't win the Super Bowl. All that talk is premature. We still don't know what's going to happen in free agency. We still don't know what's going to happen with the draft. 
Lions obviously have a prime opportunity in the draft. So we're each going to give three reasons why we think there's reasons for optimism in 2020 for the Detroit Lions. Um, do you want to start, Kent, or should I start? Yeah, I can kick us off. Um, right, one go. of the easiest reasons to look at, at the Detroit Lions and be optimistic about it was how efficient the offense was thematically. Not not just the personnel that were in it, but from a thematic standpoint, how well the offense did for the Detroit Lions. You look at the run game, we've had one of the worst run games in the NFL for years under both Jim Schwartz and Jim Caldwell. And then we get Daryl Bevel and suddenly that's not the case anymore. And that was this year with injuries in the interior of the offensive line, injury at tackle, several injuries at running back. Carrion Johnson missed most of the year. The Detroit Lions were rushing out seven former seventh round picks from other teams and undrafted free agents as starters. I forget the exact numbers, like five or six different guys started games for the Detroit Lions at running back this year, and they still found success running the ball. Was it, you know, uh, Raheem Moster in the in the postseason efficiency running the ball? No, it wasn't. Um, but it was efficient, and the offense was able to continue to move and actually threaten to run the football well during games. And you add in that along with how well they were able to utilize Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, and in very brief spurts, how they were able to use the tight ends. This offense thematically is extremely efficient. It works really well with Matthew Stafford running it. Uh, this this offense has a lot of real real meat behind it. And there is some risk that some of those things don't really pan out. We've mentioned Graham Glasgow before, potentially leaving, probably leaving in free agency. Um, but I feel like they've set themselves up from a, from a schematic and a, and a thematic standpoint in a really good spot going into 2020 with their offense. And that's, that's something you can really look at and hang your hat on for the team. Yeah. And then that, that's going to kind of lead right into my number one, um, which is kind of the same thing. It, it's Matthew Stafford and, and, and just his fit in this offense, how it seems to be a, a great fit with him and Daryl Bevel. And I think you bring up a really good point with the running game and the running game really kind of came into its own almost because it had to uh, in the second half of the season, more so than I think in the first half of the season. And if if those two, if Matthew Stafford and the second half of the running game come together next year, I think you have a really good team because I think the one part of the offense that they struggled at when Matthew Stafford was quarterback and not injured was the red zone. And the Lions ran the ball a lot better in the red zone in the second half of the season. Um, you, you saw that when, um, I don't know, who was West Hills. I mean, West Hills had two two rushing touchdowns and ended up leading the entire team in rushing touchdowns um, <laughs> because because they weren't good at it early in the season. And I think the the best way to cure your red zone woes is a good running game. And we saw the Lions have some modicum of that in the second half. So you combine that with a, a Matthew Stafford that is built for this offense that likes to take their shots downfield. That is a a, a potential of, of a top ten offense, and and really they were close to that when Matthew Stafford was healthy, anyway. So, um, yeah, a, a potentially very good offense. It's bringing most of its pieces back together, um, including uh, potentially a, a a premier tight end if he can get his act together in his second year. I'm very excited about the the offense going forward. So I think that's one reason to be very optimistic. I'm gonna go. We're gonna do the snake wise. So I'm gonna take my number two now. My number two is the Lions weren't as bad as their record was in 2019. Um, the the common line that I like to, to throw out there was they weren't as good as their record was when, when Jim Caldwell was coach and they aren't as bad as the record is um, when, when uh, under Matt Patricia. And I mean, there are plenty of stats I could throw out there to, to, you know, show as evidence, you know, they're leading in 14 to 16 games. 
They were, this is via Bill Barnwell of ESPN. They were two, four and one when they held the lead with 15 minutes to go. So entering the fourth quarter with the lead, they were two, four and one. The rest of the league, 198 and 33. Yikes. Another one from Bill Barnwell. Well, they lost or tied three games in which they were winning with one minute to go. Uh, I mean, you look at any sort of things like this, it's all about regression to the mean. Like, we, we like to get caught up sometimes and say, this this quarterback's really good at comebacks. This team's really good at comebacks. This team's really bad at blowing leads. The real truth is a lot of that is random. A lot of them is luck. A lot of, you know, one flag can disrupt an entire drive, an entire game, um, you know, like like an illegal hands to the face penalty or something like that. That's just a weird random example that I throw throughout, you know, not not from any personal experience or anything. But point being is, the Lions were on the bad side of luck. They were probably closer to like a six and ten, seven and nine team than they were a three, twelve and one team. And so the the rise to become a playoff team isn't really, in my mind, from a three, twelve and one team to a ten and six team or whatever it takes. Th- this team is talented enough and was playing talented enough to to be at the level of a six and ten, seven and nine team. And so for them to really progress to, to be able to win 10, 11 games next year, it's not that big of a jump in my opinion. I tend to agree. I was, that was going to be my third one actually, but the, the team, they had so many games where they were close. It was like what 14 or 13 or 14 of their games were decided by one score in the fourth quarter. It was, it's ridiculous. The, the level of inefficiency that they had and there's so many other small factors that went into why they lost those games that it's like you said, there's, there's so much random that they could just swing around. It's not so much a reason to be optimistic as it is a reason to not be pessimistic because there's so many things that went wrong that it can't possibly go. The luck doesn't work that way. We can't possibly have that many things go wrong again. Um, But I feel like, I feel like the lions were in a really good place despite a lot of the problems that they had with keeping their players healthy and keeping everything organized. They made a few organizational decisions, the offensive line rotation that, that could have contributed to it, that, you know, just little things that you turn that around a little bit and suddenly we're looking at a completely different team. Um, And it's like you said, there's so many random things that there's no way that this team can be that bad. Just mathematically speaking. And you know, that's my thing. Mathematically speaking, it's extremely unlikely that this yeah. team is as bad in 2020 as it was in 2019 based on nothing other than math, not even looking at any actual <laughs> football stuff, just math. Right. We've got a good chance here. Um, nobody wants to hear that. Everybody wants to hear the actual good stuff, um, which will lead me into my third one, which is looking at the actual defense. This defense was clearly the weakness of this team in 2019. Um, I don't know that it's going to be a strength in 2020. But when you really start to break down how this defense worked and you start to look at the individual pieces in this defense, it tells a completely different story than what the record did and what the stat, what the stats did. Uh, Trey Flowers was the big free agent acquisition in 2019. He played phenomenally. You can say what you want about how many sacks he had. You can argue about how he struggled to start the year. He was coming off a of surgery and he did struggle the first couple of games out of uh, coming out of the gate. But as the year went on, he got better and better. And that did not stop. By the end of the year, he was playing better than he was at the beginning of the year. And you could you could track that from, from week to week, how much better he was getting as the season went on. He was comfortable in the defense. He ran things well. And not for a single moment in a single snap did that guy stop working despite the score. He was fighting every single snap. Um, he's a really good player. He sets a very good example for the rest of the team. Um, and it isn't just Trey Flowers. 
Justin Coleman started out the year really strong and then struggled down the stretch. But whenever there was a pass rush, Justin Coleman did his job very well. The, the issue with the team as a whole was that they didn't develop any kind of a pass rush. I know people were really mad about the three-man rush thing that they did um, and how awful the three-man rush is. There are teams in the NFL that use three-man rush almost exclusively, more often than the Lions do, or close to as often, and they find success because they're able to get a pass rush or they have a stronger secondary that can afford to rush fewer pass rushers. The Lions weren't able to hold that down. They didn't have a strong enough pass rush to be able to, to do that kind of scheme throughout the year. They did well against mobile quarterbacks in the beginning of the year because they were able to do it and their coverage was able to hold, but they couldn't later on in the year. They couldn't sustain that. And then the pass rush, it had a few moments where it flashed, but for the most part, it was terrible all year. They, they don't really have any premier pass rushers outside of Trey Flowers, and you can't just have a one-man wrecking crew out there. you got to have somebody giving him some help. Um, but that brings into why you should be optimistic about it. It's not that hard to fix to the point where it gives a significant boost to the defense. You had one more viable pass rushing option, and suddenly your, your linebackers have a bit, bit more of a free rush. They don't have to sit there and try to cover tight ends and, the, and wide receivers in the slot. Your, slot. your slot corner that did do well when there was a pass rush, he's got a little bit less time. He has to worry about somebody breaking free. You, you, you free up so much more just by providing one more pass rusher to give Trey Flowers some help, whether that's an interior pass rusher that can keep the pocket collapsed and flush quarterbacks out to him, or it's another edge rusher to put a little bit of the pressure off of him and make life uncomfortable for the quarterback in the pocket. You can add one more pass rusher. It significantly impacts the defense. You add a linebacker that doesn't make as many mistakes as Jared Davis and Christian Jones. This defense has a lot fewer weaknesses than it had before, not just adding strengths. One of the best things about Jelani Tavai in 2019 wasn't that he was extremely great as a pass rusher. He was great in coverage because he wasn't either of those things. But what he did do really well was not screw up. And <laughs> you bring up, it, I joked about it quite a bit throughout the year, but Jelani Tavai didn't make a lot of mistakes. He started out the year missing quite a few tackles and making those mistakes, but he's a rookie. You're going to have some of that. But that got cleaned up pretty quick, and you didn't see him missing his assignments. You didn't see him taking the wrong gap. Yeah. You know, maybe you were getting uh, the guys were getting a couple of yards runs, but it's a lot better to have a guy get a couple of yards than a lot of yards. Um, and Jelani Tavai did a really good job of that. If they bring in more players like that that don't make mistakes, that defense looks a little bit different because a lot of those big plays that they had over the middle and the big run plays that they had weren't just the defensive line couldn't get any pass rush. It's the linebackers weren't able to hold once that running back got into the second level or a wide receiver was able to take a short pass for a long game. A tight end was able to take a short pass for a long game. The running back was, was able to get free because the, tight, the linebacker took the wrong angle to him. You get rid of a few of those mistakes, and this defense looks completely different. And the same thing is true in the secondary. Uh, I know I'm running long. I said I wasn't going to ramble, but I kind of am. <laughs> um, but the same thing's kind of true in the secondary. You add another yeah. viable corner to this defense, it looks completely different. Yeah. And the, the Lions have a lot of problems on defense. They have a lot of things they need to clean up, and their depth still needs some serious work. But they aren't as far away as the stats are telling you that they are. And despite the record, the, the score in these games were always close. Even against high-powered offenses, the Lions kept it close. So yeah. I, I don't think this team is nearly as far away as a lot of fans think they are. And the defense, even if it doesn't become a strength, if it's, a, if it's enough of a not a weakness in 2020, this team could see a significant bump in their wins just because they're making fewer mistakes. Yeah. 
and my my third reason is is also going to be defensively focused, and it's it's really the youth on that side of the ball because the Lions absolutely believe that they have some young pieces in place that are going to be cornerstones of this defense. I know for a fact that they absolutely love their 2018 draft, which features Deshaun Hand and Tracy Walker, two guys who figure to be huge parts of this team's plans going forward. You throw in some of their free agent uh, acquisitions from last year. Trey Flowers is only 26. Justin Coleman is only 26. Jared Davis, love him or hate him, he's only 25. Um, That's five guys out of 11. This team absolutely loves that this team absolutely believes will be longtime starters. And then you throw in Jelani Tavai from, from last year's draft, Will Harris from last year's draft. Now we're up to seven guys, 26 or younger, that figure to be core pieces of this team this year and likely beyond for most of those guys. Um, whether, whether you truly believe in those guys or not, this team does. This team wants those pieces to be part of their overall scheme, and we've seen their scheme work. We know it didn't work last year. We know that we have questions about their overall philosophy and stopping the run over, you know, rushing the passer and, and their their adherence to to coverage, the back end over the front end, which is an ongoing debate. I mention it almost every week. Um, but I, I really do believe that the Lions think they are getting close to where they want to be talent-wise, especially when it comes to youth. And I think that's important. And, and and no one wants to hear it. No one wants to say, well, these are young guys. Give them a year or two in the system. They're going to be fine. We, we've done that with Jared Davis, and it hasn't worked out necessarily. Um, but I, I do think the Lions think they're close in that sense. I do think they think another year with Jelani Tavai, another year with Will Harris, Tracy Walker becoming a – I mean, he made a great transformation from year one to year two, but now his transformation from year two to year three is becoming a leader because now Glover Quinn's gone. Now Quandre Diggs is gone. That's his secondary room now. And so that yep. that's another big step that they're expecting him to take. And by all means, he's already started to make that that transformation. We saw him, his relationship with the media um, take a huge step. He was, he was a really nervous, kind of quiet guy his rookie year. Very outstated and, and bold and confident in his second year. And I think the Lions knew that. And I think that probably played a little bit part into the Quandre Diggs trade because they expect him to be that emotional leader and, and hopefully... Um, you know, physical and, and and good player out there on the field too. But I think this team thinks they have a good, I mean, we heard them say it specifically. They think they have a good foundation. And in terms of young, strong players, there is a little bit of foundation on defense, even if, you know, the results were really bad last year. Yeah, and, and covering the draft as much as I do, it, it's it's really neat to see how much more you can see the fit for players in, in this year versus last year coming off of 2018. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned Bradley and I when we were talking to Jeff and a couple of the other guys. There are guys out there in this draft that are perfect fits for the defense, not just guys that are like, oh, this is the type of guy that they like. Right. You know, I mentioned Jason Strobridge. Jason Strobridge is a guy that they would like. He has the same type of traits that they generally tend to look for, but you're talking about a mid round pick. Bradley and I is a guy that fits in this defense. He has the, uh, the ability to be disruptive in a role that we already know how it works in this defense. We're not looking at elements just as thematic concepts anymore. We're looking at them as actual roles that we can define and find players that fit them. And sometimes it's a little, it's a little testy. I know people don't really like the way that, that <laughs> Matt Patricia uses his linebackers. They, they look at a guy like Justin Simmons and they see this super athletic, versatile player who can move all over the defense. That's not the kind of guy that Matt Patricia has tended to like. It's not that Jason Simmons, or Justin Simmons is, is, isn't any good. He's very good but it's just not the type of role that he's used his linebackers for. 
he, he already has Jared Davis to do his blitzing. He has Tracy Walker to do a lot of the box stuff that Justin Simmons would do. Um, but it's not the type of guy that he likes. But then you see how he used Jelani Tavai and you say, oh, well, he just likes big, slow guys. No, he likes big guys with range who don't make mistakes. He likes guys that are long and can use their body to, to, to plug up holes and cover multiple gaps. And you start looking at linebackers in the draft and trying to find the guys that can do that. And it becomes a little bit more clear once you start seeing how this defense actually works, the type of people that they need to fill those holes. Even when we saw it not work in 2019, we can still see the type of guys that would make this defense work. And it's really interesting to start looking at players from that perspective now that we can kind of look at it and see how things are moving. Um, it's it's a lot easier than just going, oh, well, you know, the, the Patriots like those type of guys, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the Patriots. Uh, well, hopefully that hopefully now you listeners are a little bit more optimistic. Hopefully you'll do a little less bombarding on our social media of eh, the lines suck, eh, same old lines, sell the team, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully you've got a little tad of optimism you can take with you to free agency, then on to the draft, then on to training camp, and, and we'll all be drinking the Kool-Aid by August, right? Or at least you got some specific things to yell at us for being optimistic. There you go. There you go. That is some general ones. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to hit on the mailbag. You guys got a lot of questions about the draft, about a certain guy who's been rising up the ranks. We'll we'll get Kent's perspective on Isaiah Simmons when we come back. So mailbag. Isaiah Simmons. Why did I call him Justin Simmons? Justin Simmons is a safety from Denver or something like that. That's really good. God dang it. Hashtag ask POD. If you ever have a question for us that you want us to answer, you need our expertise. You need us to give us a pre- you settle debate. We'll settle the debate between you and your friends, whether anything's a sandwich or a soup or a cereal. We always love <laughs> tackling that sort of stuff or any sort of lines questions you have. Um, before we get into the mailbag, we're going to read our reviews because we're doing this again. Um, we're trying to encourage you guys to, to support the podcast by, by going on to Apple, uh, Apple podcasts, leaving a review if you want any constructive criticism if you just want to say i look awesome that's fine too uh our first one comes from tia matt 74 he says it gives us five stars says first off jeremy is awesome oh thanks his analysis and writing are great chris is somewhat dry but indeed adequate and can be funny r.i.p chris uh then there's ryan this guy wait no sorry i meant to read the updated one this is from updated uh uh, January 10th. He says, wow, what a difference. Uh, we're going to skip the parts about some things he said about Chris. Uh, and Ryan seems to have grown in the podcast. It's really actually funny. and He's really grown on me. I feel bad having trashed him before on my original view. And of course, Jeremy is best out there. I don't <laughs> I probably should have read this whole thing before I read it out loud, but that's, that's all I'm going to read for that one. <laughs> and then there's Johnny Adkins 99. Uh, he writes, love the show. Great intro music. Great content. An engaging host. Although I do do miss our boy Chris, I want to see this podcast go on for a long time to come. Great job as interim head coach, Jeremy. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. 
onto the mailbag. Let's get on to your questions again. Hashtag SPOD if you have any questions. We also put up a post every Friday. Um, if you're part of the Pride of Detroit commenting community, you can go over there on Fridays, throw your questions into the comment section. We will address them right here, right now. First one comes from David Mara on Twitter at David Mara. He asks, with the Chargers moving on from Philip Rivers, can you envision a scenario in which the Lions can trade down from three twice and still pick in the top 10? Yeah, you want me to take that one? Yeah. I'm, I'm for it. So this, this draft is really good for a team that needs to trade down, a team that does not need a quarterback or an offensive tackle. And the Lions do need an offensive tackle, but we don't need to spend primo, primo draft capital on an offensive tackle. Um, but there's plenty of them in this draft. There's several offensive tackles that teams are going to be salivating over. There's several teams that need quarterbacks that may want to trade up. The Lions are sitting there in prime real estate, sitting at three. And we got teams like Miami Dolphins and the San Diego Chargers. The New Orleans Saints are looking to get another quarterback unless they think that their tight end is suddenly one all of a sudden. Um, we've got the, the Carolina Panthers potentially moving on and trying to get a new quarterback. There's other, other teams that might jump up and surprise uh, there's, there's all this stuff going on and the, the lines are sitting there three after a team that just drafted a quarterback and a team that's definitely taking an obvious number one choice. And there's like four guys that could go in the top 10. Um, I'm not sure that all four of those guys are worthy of top 10 picks, but we've seen much worse quarterbacks go in the top 10 and it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, you've got Tua Tango Bailoa. If his medicals check out, there's going to be a team that's going to fall in love with him. His tape is fantastic one of the most efficient college quarterbacks in the history of the sport. Uh, he's going to have a lot of teams that really, really like him. He's got a lot of leadership traits. There's very few things to dislike about Tua Tango Bailoa. The biggest issue is health, and there are teams that are going to be turned off by that. But we've seen players like like uh, Ross, the Bengals took a couple years ago, who had a, a, a laundry list. His, his injury history was so long, I couldn't even fit it in two tweets. And he still got taken in the top 10. So quarterbacks don't get hit as much as wide receivers. So we could still see him get taken very high. Um, you've got Justin Herbert from uh, Oregon, who's a very, very good prospect that a lot of teams are going to be really high on. He's six foot six. He's got that big frame, big arm that teams really like. There's a team that could trade up for him. So the Lions could trade down to five with Miami. Miami could trade up and take Tango Bailoa. That's the, the person that a lot of people think they're going to take, or they could take Herbert. And then the Lions are sitting at five, facing a gauntlet of teams that need quarterback help. And somebody could jump somebody. There, there could be a team that really wants a guy and thinks that they're going to be gone so they could trade down a second time and get even more draft resources. Yeah, uh, I ha- I'm, John, John lays out kind of a perfect scenario in our yeah. chat, John Whitaker, who's, who's a friend of the show. He's been on it several times. Um, lines make that trade down to Miami. And then the, the Panthers, who are at seven, they jump the Chargers at yep. six. So you, you drop, drop down to five, then you drop down to seven. And if you think about it, Seven, you can still get a very high defensive player because three quarterbacks are taken. Chase Young is obviously taken. So that means Jeff Okuda, Derek Brown, or Isaiah Simmons is still there. One of those three, at least. And that's just an offensive tackle. There's there's at least one offensive tackle going in that top five. Right. So suddenly you have two of those three of, of Derek Brown, Isaiah Simmons, or Jeff Okuda still there at seven. And now you also have the reaping the benefits of those two trade downs. Ideal scenario, I would say and, almost. And mentioning sure. offensive tackles, it's not just quarterbacks that teams trade up for. True. And when you have a strong offensive tackle draft, like we got in this one, teams love their blindside protectors, man. There's always that chance that somebody tries to jump up in front of one of them teams to get that tackle. 
because they're worried that somebody's going to try to jump one of the quarterback needy teams to go get that tackle to try to keep them off the board. So there's plenty of, of space to move down, and it's the perfect draft strength-wise to move down. I'd be very surprised at this point if the Lions did take a player at three. Yeah, I've, I'm, I don't want it to happen, kind of. I mean, if, if obviously the, the Chase Young exception is there, but uh, I think... I think Asterisk. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mentioned Isaiah Simmons, uh, and I mentioned it before the break. Jared Heatley, at Heatley Jared on Twitter asks, why don't you believe Isaiah Simmons is a fit for the Lions? If they do draft him, how do you imagine he is used in the defensive scheme? Can- Isaiah Simmons. <laughs> Since I screwed up his name earlier. Yes. Um, <laughs> Isaiah Simmons is a very good player. And a lot of people that follow me on Twitter probably think I hate the guy. Um, I don't. He's a fantastic player. He does a lot of things really well. He's a very good coverage player. He's, he's good at rushing the passer as a blitzer. Um, he's good against the run. He's a very strong player. He's a fast player. He's going to be stupid athletic. He's going to break a lot of my individual metrics, I think, for Raz. Um, he's going to be a fantastic athlete that people are going to talk about jumping up boards after the combine because we like to count things twice. Um, <laughs> but he's versatile. He's got that versatile tag that we keep talking about with the Detroit Lions uh, and Matt Patricia in particular. Um, the thing about Isaiah Simmons, though, is that he's not the type of versatile player that, that Matt Patricia has favored. He prefers big, lengthy uh, linebackers who can play as pass rushers on the edge and blitz. Isaiah Simmons can blitz, and he does have good length, but he's only about 220 to 230 pounds. He might get up to 240 before the combine. I don't think he plays at that. I think he plays around 230 when he gets into the NFL. Um and that's not the type of player that Matt Patricia has, has favored at his linebacker spots. Uh, you know, it's not the same level of, of player, but you look at how he used Jalen Reeves-Maben and Miles Killebrew. You know, those guys are smaller linebacker, bigger safety type of guys. He had no use for him in this defense. Yeah. When he had healthy Christian Jones and Jared Davis and Jelani Tavai, he had no use for Jalen Reeves-Maben on the field. Miles Killebrew couldn't find any, anywhere on the field. Those type of roles that people envision Isaiah Simmons doing – Matt Patricia didn't use the players that he had that had shown skill in those areas as role players. So if he can't find a role player, a job for a role player, what's he going to do with a full-time guy at that spot? I don't think anything. Um, if you look at Isaiah Simmons as a safety that plays some linebacker, you fall into what, what they see with Tracy Walker. Tracy Walker does a lot of those things really well. I don't see the point in taking back-to-back third-round safeties that you expect to start and then drafting a guy like Isaiah Simmons really high. Um, and that's only basing it on the talent level of Isaiah Simmons. It's not even looking at the positional value, which is just not that great for an off-ball linebacker. Even if you think he can do all of those things, he can't do all of them at the same time. He's not as valuable. He's not, a, he's not an edge rusher. Yeah. He doesn't provide the value in a pass rush that you get from a, a premier edge rusher. Or even a, a role or a specific type of edge rusher like A.J. Espinosa from Iowa who has a much more defined type of role in this defense. I don't think a guy that can blitz well provides the same level of value that a guy like Espinosa does, who can do that run defense on the edge, play the, the role that Romeo Aquara was expected to play and kind of fell off a lot this year. Um, but that's more valuable than a guy who can blitz really well. Um, a, co- a coverage linebacker is fantastic, but Matt Patricia doesn't seem to value that trait all that much. He, he likes to use his safeties in that manner. So it's just a matter of, of finding the fit with the players that they have already on the roster and what the direction that this defense is taking. 
And it isn't really a clean fit for me. I feel like he'd be, he would be wasted in the role that he would play in this defense. And that's where value comes in. Even if he is this premier unicorn type of player, if you have other players that are going to do the things that he does, then you're wasting them or you're wasting him. And there's no value in that. I agree completely. I don't have anything more to add. I don't know what I could add. Um, I think you nailed it with him. Um, All right. We're going to move on to a different question. We've had a lot of draft talk. I need some sort of palate cleanser because it's still too early to talk the draft for me. Uh, Critical Perspective asks, what's your favorite comfort food when you're sick? And I think this was... I think this was inspired by my uh, <laughs> my my food poisoning last week um, that, that caused me to fall behind on everything last week. Uh, I'll jump in on this one because when it's flu, you don't really feel like eating anything other than liquids. So one of my favorite foods of all time, I think, would, would fit under this category. Lobster bisque. Lobster bisque is so good in general, and I was craving it like crazy when I was sick, but then also oddly enough, like ice cream. And I know you're not supposed to have dairy at all when you're sick. It's one of the worst things you can have, but I think something about like the hot and cold and like the soothingness of the cold after the hot, because I was, I was kind of running hot and cold when I was sick too. Like sometimes I was really hot. Sometimes I was really cold. So if I was really cold, eat some lobster brisket. I'm feeling a little hot, like some, some mint chocolate chip ice cream. It's beautiful. And it's funny that you mentioned both of those things because mine is tomato bisque. I, I like my bisque yeah. when I'm not feeling too well either. I just like tomato bisque because you can eat toast. You can dip your toast in the tomato yeah. bisque and it's delicious. Um, and on, oddly, for mine is a drink, but I, I put I drink a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. when I'm not feeling too well, I usually put milk in my tea. Um, I actually mentioned that to a friend of mine at work. He's from Scotland. And uh, I mentioned to him how my kids thought I was an alien when I put milk in my tea. Cause like I said, we drink a lot of tea and they thought it was the craziest thing they'd ever seen. And he was like, you mean like the rest of the civilized world? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I drink milk with tea when I don't feel really well. And again, it's, you're not really supposed to drink it, to have a lot of dairy when you're not feeling well, but it's always made my stomach calm down. So it, it works for me. So screw you internet, screw you WebMD. We're going to drink all the dairy we can. Uh, um, here's a perfect question for you Ken uh, Spartan Tide in our comment section asks let's play a game of would you rather would you rather draft a player that is raw but super athletic or take a technically sound player with a lower athletic ceiling I'm a math guy I'm taking the athlete 10 times out of 10 uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're looking at kind of counter, counter yourself I have, podcast, so I, I, have. I thought maybe I'd catch you on an, um, on an off day here but if we're if we're looking at it with a, with no context, you know, there, there's no real context with it. I'm I'm going to play the numbers. Um, the number of of lower tier athletes with good tape that succeed is lower than the number of great athletes with good or even below average tape, but are considered high tier prospects that did well. Um, it, it's it's just numbers, and it's it's a significant enough difference at most positions that it's it's not even too much of an argument with me. Now, if you're talking about center. You already know this. Um, <laughs> yeah. if we're talking about center. I don't care about their athletic traits at all. I'm taking the guy with the best tape, regardless of what their athletic metrics are. Um, but that's only that one position. Every other position, I'm paying attention to the athletic traits and, and how that translates. Because you're not looking at 
just what are, whether they were good in college or whether they're good, they, you think they're going to be good pros. You're looking at what type of skills, what type of traits they have that translate. And athletic ability is the easiest one to find a use for in the pros. Um, and your hit rate is way higher. So that's the way I'm going to go. Pretty boring answer for people that know me. The expected answer, but I, I, I had to know just to be sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Let's talk about James Crochet. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Let it slide a little bit for him. Uh, Myth two RY from our uh, comment section asked, "What is your your favorite or the best draft game simulator?" So he's got Walk the Mock, the Draft Network's Mock Draft Machine, Fan Speak, which is a really popular one, then FirstPick.com, which I don't even know of. Um, I personally don't use any of these because I feel like mock drafting is a huge, huge waste of time. But I imagine you probably do, and I'm I'm also curious as to what chat says. So chat. Give me your answer as well. Well, Kent gives me his answer. So I've used three of the four. I, I haven't used firstpick.com. I'll have to look at that one. Um, but from the three that I have used, I've, I really like the Draft Network's Mock Draft Machine. I think they did a really good job programming it. Um, I, I know most of the guys that did it and, and put it together. And they did a really good job of trying to, to account for both the randomness of draft days and team needs and the type of things that teams look for, the way that teams behave during a draft. Um, I feel like it does the best job of simulating a, a draft-like atmosphere. Um, the funnest one is FanSpeak, though. I don't think anybody would argue that one too much. That's that's easily the funnest one because there's there's so much random, and people can get the craziest scenarios right. on the FanSpeak <laughs> ones that make no damn sense, like trades that Madden would be like. I think you need a break. <laughs> But they, they let you do whatever you want. You can do all that kind of stuff. And, and you'll get some crazy results from some of the fan speak ones. Um, they're a lot of fun. Um, I, I tend to like mock drafts, not just not, not, not as, as predictive because they aren't. And I, I did a study on that a couple of years ago. And I know they're not really predictive in any meaningful way. Um, but they're a lot of fun. And they, they provide you some, some good intellectual conversation. You can, you can make, a, make a discussion with, would this player go this high? Should this player go this high? When, when you're engaging people on social media, draft, mock drafts are just a great way to open up conversations on multiple players at the same time because you're going to get the guys that hate guys that think you picked them way too high, the guys that love guys who think you picked them way too low every draft. Um, we often joke that there is no good draft that people like. It, it has to be hated by almost everyone or it's not a good mock draft. <laughs> You're right in that they are a good conversation starter. I would debate you on the point of intellectual conversations, but that's for another podcast to discuss. Uh, I I would much rather just play with the playoff machine and try to figure out a way for the Lions to make the 2019 playoffs, even though they've already passed. That's just me. Uh, all right, let's close it out with a question. Uh, we'll go right back to the draft from Restore the Roar on Twitter. He asks, thoughts on taking J.K. Dobbins in the second round? I love J.K. Dobbins. I think he's a fantastic running back. I don't think we should take him in the second round. Uh, I don't think they will address the running back on the first two days of the draft. Uh, I know people, a lot of people are viewing it as a need, and I've talked about it as a need before because the Lions have some serious health problems at running back. Um, they have two of the most injury-prone running backs in the NFL on their roster currently in on Johnson and Bo Scarborough. Um, <laughs> they lost Wes Hills to injury. Um, what was the other undrafted guy they lost early? Um, blanking on his name. They went through uh, so many. I've... Yeah, they went through so many, but they lost <laughs> a lot of guys to injury. 
Um, it's difficult to be confident of a running back room when you have so many health problems. Um, but I don't think they're going to value running backs that high with Daryl Bevel in the room. You saw them bring in Bo Scarborough off the bench, and he was immediately productive. You saw them bring in Wes Hills off the bench, and he got two touchdowns in one game. You, the, the team just doesn't seem to value running back all that much. They value the running game. They value keeping the guys moving and making sure that defenses are kept honest. But the running back position doesn't seem to be too valuable to them. They seem to be able to just throw guys in there and find some kind of production. I think that continues. I think the guys that they're going to look at are going to be four-year starters, guys with a lot of mileage on them, um, guys that have shown that they can stay durable. Um, I know people like to point out, point out how many college touches the guys have as if, as if it's some kind of big negative because they've got so many miles on them. You know, they're already worn down. Right. I think the Lions are going to start paying attention to the medical aspect of the running backs more than anything else. Um, they've taken enough risks and they've seen how badly it can bite them two years running. I don't think they do that again. I think they look for a running back that's more durable, a guy that can last. Um, and I, I think I brought up a couple of those guys during the, the senior bowl prep up and the, uh, the uh, shrine bowl um, guys like Keyshawn Vaughn, not a Vanderbilt guys that have, have shown a little bit more durability the last couple of years. I think that's what they're going to look for. And I think they're going to do that in probably the fourth or fifth. Yeah. And that's, I mean, to me, it's just a philosophical thing. I don't like taking a running back in the top two, unless top two rounds, unless they're absolutely can't miss. And, and durability is, is, is almost the most important thing to me these days, just because of you said it, it's one of the most injury prone positions, period. Um, you, they certainly take a lot of contact and they don't last long. They, you don't see a lot of teams hanging with running backs beyond a first contract. So you need to get as much productivity as possible in the first four years. And the Lions took a risk. And taking on Johnson in the second round, I wasn't a fan of trading up in the, in the second round when it happened. As much as I love on Johnson as, as a prospect in it himself, I was philosophically against the pick that early, especially when it came with a trade up. I'm just as against pretty much anyone you can throw into the conversation taking a running back this early, especially with the other needs on this team. I Like you, I agree that running back is, is a need, but like you also said, they did okay with a bunch of guys they pulled off the street, and I'm okay with doing that as a strategy or taking a day three guy. I just don't think it makes sense. to take I, Jake I think they should just it. ask Frank Ragnow who he wants. Who do you want running behind you, Frank? Sure. Take them. <laughs> I'm down for that too. All right, Kent. Uh, thanks for all the amazing information. Thanks for all the conversation. You'd brought the intelligent conversation. That's for sure. Uh, Kent, where can, where can the people find you? I am uh, always available on Twitter at math bomb. Uh, I'm that's on, the only social media platform that I'm even on anymore. So you can find me at math bomb on Twitter. Um, I'm available all the time on there. My website is almost completely launched. So uh, you'll be able to head over to relative athletic scores.com very shortly to view any RAS cards that you want. You can still download the application there, um, but the site's not fully functional. It's a week or two away yet, but you can head over there and take a look if you want to. Um, so yeah, hit me up. He also writes for this website called Pride of Detroit. Oh yeah, those guys. The podcast that They're you're pretty cool. listening to. And we appreciate you listening to it. And we will, I think we're going to try to do a Super Bowl preview podcast in the middle of the week because that's coming up. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but there's a Super Bowl coming up. Uh, we'll have all that and more every Sunday. Nine, eight, I have, what do we do? 8 p.m.? 8 p.m. We do this on Twitch. Obviously, we, we had a 
uh, kicked down the road this week. But uh, if you want to watch us live, you want to see our pretty faces, you want to interact with us on the chat, head to twitch.tv slash pride of Detroit. You can set notifications so that every time we go live, if we have to change our schedule in the middle of the week, um, you'll get notifications when we go live and all that fun stuff. You get to support us too by, by being part of our community. And we always love the people in our community. So until next time, thank you for joining us. We'll see you based our side.